eight. Big days are always a little different because we get so many visitors. Normally, when somebody puts together a really cool presentation, we breathe afterwards. It was like everybody's held their breath there. Can we put our hands together and thank these guys? Because I think they did a great job. Outstanding production. I just... Terry and his crew and then uh, Nate, all of our worship uh, teams, all of our campuses have gone to such lengths this weekend in order to make this uh, a wonderful opportunity to tell people about Christ, what we believe, and to celebrate something that we consider to be the most important day in all of the universe. So we are glad that you are here. Got something really awesome planned for you. I think you're going to enjoy this. Uh, If you go ahead and look on your seat, you'll find the notes for today. Grab those, and we'll jump into this real quick. While you're doing that, I want to welcome all of our campuses. Eleven services this weekend is what's going on. Eleven services. So by the time we get done tomorrow afternoon, uh, hopefully Mickelson will be the champion of the Masters, and I'll be home <laughs> sleeping as he gets crowned that right there. But we, we, uh, we are just excited. We want to, want to welcome all of our campuses that are tuning in right now, not just here at Lone Tree, but Heinz Ranch, Castle Rock, those that are live streaming. And I'm able to announce a foreshore date on Lakewood. May 13th, Mother's Day, we will open officially for the Lakewood campus. Going to be set. We're excited about that. Uh, we, will, we will actually begin um, meeting over there before that, but how many of you think it's a good idea to meet a little bit before you actually open it up to the public and do your first meeting? So we'll meet over there a little bit before then. But if you are curious and would like to try that campus out, if you live over there, if you've got folks that you know uh, that would benefit by it, May 13th next month on Mother's Day will be the first official opening. Okay, it's called The Garden, the Grave, and the Glory. We're using these three words to symbolize our Easter message. And how many of you would agree with this, that you can use those three terms if you are familiar at all? All with the Easter story, the garden, the grave, and the glory in some form or fashion without me saying anything else speak some kind of picture to you, yes or no? Do you agree with that? I think, and I wrote in your notes, symbols are very powerful. What makes them powerful, symbols more than anything else I know can communicate something without ever having to write anything or without ever having to say anything. I'll give you a for instance. How many of you have ever seen stained glass inside of a church building? They're absolutely beautiful. They've been around for more than a thousand years, believe it or not. The technology to to make them has obviously increased and gotten better in our day and age, but they were making them as far back as a thousand years ago. And here was the point for it. During the Middle Ages, you had uh, most of the people were were not educated people. They they were not uh, taught how to read, how to write. How do you communicate? As I said in the beginning, what we consider to be the most important message in the universe, how do you communicate that to people who, who maybe are not right there attending a church? How do you communicate to someone who can't read well, you've got to find something that goes beyond words. Well, stained glass, if you ever, next time you're in a church that has it, pay attention. If you go around, they begin with a story. And normally it's the story of Christ. And it's the story of his death, the story of his resurrection. It's different pictures. And you would take then a group of people who were uneducated, people who couldn't read, who couldn't write, who could walk and look at the pictures and it would communicate the story without ever having to say a word. Does that make sense to you? So, so symbols then become, in my mind, very powerful, and we still use them today. In fact, I, I've put a few up here. Help me and see if you know what these symbols are right here. Uh, I thought they were... What is that one? Without saying anything, we know exactly what it is. Some of you parked in it and shouldn't have. Okay, let's go to the next one. What's that one? Without saying a word, we know what it is. Right there, go to the next one. Recycle. Recycle. We're all learning about that one right now. Let's go to the next one. 
Red Cross, next one. Stop for a moment. Ugly symbol. But yes or no, you can communicate both something positive or something negative through a symbol. That one, do you know? Hazardous material, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I think that was the last one. Is there any more? I think that was it. Okay, here's, here's the thought. Symbols, symbols work really well. And the reason I use these international symbols, uh, a couple of years ago, Chris and I were invited to do a wedding uh, in Ireland. What a, what a, no, I'm sorry, Scotland. What a place to go and do a wedding. I mean, how many of you would say yes to that wedding right there? I got a chance to go, go to Scotland. We had a friend who's a missionary in Ireland, so we thought to ourselves, if we're going to go all the way to Scotland... Let's stay for a few extra days and let's go over to Ireland and visit our friends. So we made a roundabout trip there and we landed in Kerry, Ireland. That's where we flew into. Ireland's a beautiful place. Probably everything you've seen about it is true. Super green, greens that I've never seen before. Uh, it's just a very beautiful place. We land in Kerry, we rent a car, and I, I guess I knew that they drove on the wrong side. But I had not contemplated what it would be like for me to drive on the wrong side of the road. Unless you've ever done it before, it's an experience that, hey, get ready for it. So I jump in a car, and by the way, here's another thing. Most of the cars there are gear shift. They are not automatic. So you're sitting on the wrong side of the car. Normally, most of us are used to shifting with our right hand. You're sitting on the right side of the car shifting with your left hand. Doesn't sound like that big of a deal until you have to do it in traffic. So we pull out of the airport. We're driving in a place that we've never been to before in a country that's not ours, and they built the car the wrong way. It's the most amazing thing ever. We take off from the airport. We head down to get onto the highway, and Ireland, as is most of Western Europe, they use roundabouts in order to supposedly move traffic. That's, that's, the, that's the premise behind it. We came to the first roundabout. There was a symbol for a roundabout. And I had never seen the symbol before in my life. Symbols are powerful if you recognize them when they come your way. The traffic flow is supposed to go left, but how many of you know when we turn, we turn right. And old habits took over. So that I hit the roundabout and I turned right while the traffic was oncoming. And it was like a picture out of European vacation. It was a huge roundabout, probably four or five lanes wide. I got on the inside lane. I'm going at cars, or they were coming at me. I don't know how you want to say that. Chris, by this point, is praying in tongues as we go around this thing. And it just seemed like I was going faster and faster, as we, and I couldn't get off. I just kept going faster and faster. Cars are honking. They're pulling over. I could not get off of that roundabout no matter what I did. Finally, I stopped literally in the middle of the right They're going to hit us anyway, so we may as well stop at this point. I did a U-turn, got going the right way, and ended up getting where we needed to go. Learned to drive all over Western Europe doing that right there. It was a fun trip. Unclear symbols can mess you up. Unclear symbols can send the wrong idea, the wrong impression. Uh, they may be put there for your good. They may be put there because they are intended to send the right message, but if they're unclear symbols, they can mess things up. I put in your notes this idea. Are there any unclear symbols of the resurrection? Do we use any symbols that communicate something that is unclear about the resurrection? Well, I put a few things down in my notes that I thought were interesting. And so let me give you the first one. Ask this question, the cross or the crucifix? The cross or the crucifix? Now, some of you are like, same thing. 
Are you, are you splitting hairs? Are you, are you majoring in minors? I mean, come on, what's the difference? Well, here was the difference. I grew up in a church that very much used the crucifix and not the cross. I grew up in a place that showed Christ always on the cross. And let me give you a demonstration. All of the pictures were always Jesus on the cross. All of the jewelry that women wore, that people had in the church, was always Jesus on the cross. All of the pictures, all of the portrayals, Everything was always Christ on the cross. And in fact, I asked them, could you show me the difference so that people here would see it? You ever seen that before right there? It's not a cruci- that's not a cross, it's a crucifix. And that's the difference. Christ is always pictured on the cross when it's the crucifix. The other one just then simply is the cross. We put it here. I, I think the significance is just simply, where is Jesus? It communicates something that I think is interesting. Now, most people just go, okay, so same thing, right? I don't think so. I think it's a powerful symbol that when you look at it, people get it. Without ever having to put any word down, without having to preach or say anything, it says something, yes or no. But I would say to you, it could be a very unclear symbol of the resurrection. To find Jesus on the cross or off of it is the difference, Dave, in whether or not he's there. I think it's really important. In my mind, a scripture that helps us to discern this and to decide it is 1 John 4, 17. In your notes, it reads this way. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Can I just say this to you? When Marcus stood up here, Marcus said, every one of us are going to die. That's probably not the message you wanted to come here today, but it is the truth. This is life. No one gets out of it alive, yes or no? At some point, we all do go that way, and when we do, here's what we believe, that everyone in this room will stand before God and give an account for your life. What I love about this scripture right here says that everything that God has done is so that we can have boldness on the day of judgment. If you're afraid or worried about the day of judgment, you will have everything but boldness. But if everything's okay, you can be bold on that day. Why? Because God has taken care of everything. And when we stand in front of him, rather than being afraid, rather than being worried, rather than having to be upset about how it's going to turn out, we can have boldness knowing that God has taken care of everything and there's peace between us and him. I love the first part of that scripture, but the second part is what I want you to see, the difference between the cross and the crucifix. Because as he is, speaking of Jesus, as he is, so are we in this world. Here's my question to you in the difference between the cross and the crucifix. Some people live their life stuck on the wrong side of the cross. Some people are at the foot of the cross seeing Jesus on it rather than seeing the cross after Jesus is gone. The Bible says, as he is... Present tense, so are we in this world. Here's my question. Is he still on the cross or is he off? Because if you're focused on the Christ who went to the cross, you're focused on the suffering servant. You're focused on the one who paid the sins for all mankind. And yes, it's true. And yes, Jesus died on the cross. But here's what we're celebrating. He's no longer there. He's not on the cross any longer. Therefore, it's not a matter of semantics or splitting hairs. What we believe to be the difference is the symbol, Christ on the cross or off the cross. If he's off the cross, then Jesus, that we're becoming like, is not the suffering servant, but we're becoming like the risen Lord. As he is, so are we in this world. How many people are stuck on that side of the cross and all they see is the suffering servant? The one who's paying the price, rather than seeing the one who's victorious, the one who won, the one who put the enemy under his feet so that the enemy is under our feet. He won so that we win. He's free so that we can be free. He's risen so that you can rise. 
Do you get the difference between the two? It's not simply semantics. It's really a symbol of what we believe to be true and what we believe to be right. John described Jesus this way in the book of Revelation, which is a prophetic book of things that are going to happen. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, John said, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that is with it, that he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of God Almighty. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I recognize it's very poetic, but do you see that John saw Jesus different than you and I see him on the cross? John saw him after the cross. John saw him as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the one who judges everything and who has already taken care of everything. My question to you is, which Jesus do you know? The one hanging on the cross or the one who has risen from the dead? Some of us, man, the only symbol we've ever been subjected to is the Jesus who is the suffering servant. Again, nothing wrong with seeing Christ that way. The problem is, as he is presently, so are we becoming in this world. He's not that Jesus who hung on the cross. He's the King of kings, Lord of lords, that John saw risen from the dead. Which one do you know? Now, I want to make it clear to you so that you understand, we are not the King of kings. But we are his children with his authority and we're called to overcome this world just like he did. That's what we're supposed to see. Here's a thought for you. I, I, I read a book recently. It was, a, it was an interesting book. Um, the guy who wrote it was a Japanese soldier during World War II. And in, in, in I'll get the exact date right because I, 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 you just got to hear this. It's unbelievable. December 26th, 1944, he signed up to fight in World War II. Here was his orders. You are absolutely forbidden to die or to surrender by your own hand. No matter how many years it takes, we'll come back for you. Until then, you must continue fighting under no circumstances are you to ever surrender. They trained him in guerrilla warfare, put him in the Philippine Islands, and here was his job to do everything he could to distract the allies from winning, to do everything he could to fight this battle, and to do everything he could to remain in his position so that he wouldn't surrender. And here was the problem. He was so isolated in the jungle that when World War II was over, he didn't know it. In fact, he fought for 30 years. Here's the title of his book, No Surrender, My 30-Year War. He surrendered in 1975. 1975. Almost 30 years from the time he was put into the jungle until he surrendered. And here was the thing. After he learned that the war might be over, he thought it was a trick of the allies. And his commanding officer had told him, no matter what, you can't surrender. So they had to go to Japan, 
find his commanding officer, bring his commanding officer to the Philippines, bring him into the jungle, find the guy, and the guy had to be told by the commanding officer, it's okay to surrender. The guy put on his uniform, walked out with his sword, and surrendered it to Marcos, who was the dictator of the Philippines at that time. What's your point? Is it possible for a person to be stuck on the wrong side of an issue, never realizing that that part is over, done, the battle has already been fought and won, it's time for you to move on and not be stuck at that point in your life. I want to submit this to you. How many believers are stuck at the foot of the cross, seeing Jesus as only the suffering servant, never realizing that he is victorious, and therefore you should put the enemy under your feet? You should be the one who moves on in your life. You're the, listen, if all you're doing is fighting a battle for 30 years, here's what you need to hear. The battle's over. Amen. We won. <laughs> Now, if that shocks you, it's not impossible to be stuck in the jungle. But come out. You win. He set us free. He's done everything, man. It's all over with. Let me give you another one that I think, let me say it. I don't want you to be offended by it, but hear this right now. The tomb. The tomb. I would just throw out to you, it might be possible that it's an unclear symbol of the resurrection. Now, I get why We look at the empty tomb. And let me say this to you. When we go to Israel, my favorite place in all of Israel is the garden tomb. There are two places that if you ever travel to Israel, they will tell you here's the two possible sites of the crucifixion and of the resurrection. One is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. You've probably seen that on television. Uh, Two or three churches, actually two churches, are, are sharing that site. They've built Churches over the site where they say this is where Jesus was crucified and where he resurrected from the dead. But then there's another site that's the garden tomb. And they've actually found a tomb that is perfectly described in the Gospels that you tour around. Uh, It was a rich man's uh, uh, area. He owned it. He had a a vineyard there. It's a beautiful place. And we go there and we take communion. And, and the one thing that happens at the end of the tour, you walk down into the tomb, you look around in the tomb, and then there's a sign that says, he is not here, he is risen. Okay, I, I get why we look at the tomb. But let me, let me record to you what the Bible has to say about the tomb and whether or not it's an unclear symbol. In Luke chapter 24, verse 1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the, the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Now I get why we look at the tomb. But again, what does the Bible have to say about the tomb? Here these people go to find Jesus. The problem is Jesus is no longer there. And here's what's recorded. Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? I would just say to you, I get why we show the tomb as a, as a representation of, of the gospel. But can I tell you the truth? The tomb is not the best representation of where Jesus is. Where is Jesus? Okay, so I heard about like four different things. So let me give you the right answer. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. You want to know where Jesus is? 
You want to know the best representation of the resurrection? Look around you right now. It's here with us in this place. Jesus is here now. His life is here now. It is not in the tomb. If you were to go to the tomb right now, the best that you're going to find is a sign that says, He is not here. He is risen. The angel would tell you, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? You want to find Jesus? Find a place where people gather in his name, where they love him, where they celebrate him, where they're excited about the resurrection. Jesus is there. The greatest proof that he's alive is the fact that you're here in this building right now. If he's not alive, why are you here? Some of you are like, well, I got invited. Okay, but you're still here. (laughs) We're glad you're here. Even if you don't get it, somebody who invited you did get it. The proof that he's alive is the fact that he's here. (laughs) Let me give you the last one. My thought on this one was maybe the one that, to me personally, makes the most difference. The one maybe that I would be willing to stand up and say, pay attention to this. And speaking of unclear symbols, the loser or the lion. The loser or the lion. Let me, let me throw this out to you. The day we opened this building, there was, a, there was another religion. Uh, I don't know any other way to say that. It's just another religion. They showed up here and they, they waited in the back till the service was over and uh, they wanted to meet me. And I went and I talked to them and um, they made a presentation to me. They said a couple of nice things. We're glad that you're here. Um, they said, we, 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 we want you to be able to make a difference in the community. They wanted to focus on doing some things that were charitable together. I said, hey, we could, we could work that way, no doubt about it. No, no question about it. But I knew that, that fundamentally there was a great difference between what they believed and what we believed. And it wasn't just, just on a version of the Bible or, or some, some little splitting hairs thing. It was, it was they worshipped something that we don't. And so they presented me, they said, they said, even though we don't believe in Jesus, we know that you do. And so they presented me a picture of Jesus to hang in my office. And this is what the picture looked like right here. Now I know some of you are like, I've got that one hanging up right now. I bet you do. Let me ask a question. How many of you grew up in Sunday school, and that was like on all the literature in the Sunday school class that you got right there. Okay. I, so I say it the right way. I have nothing personal against the picture other than I think it makes Jesus look very weak, very wimpish. And there was a picture that I came across a little while ago. And before they showed, I want to read something to you that I thought was tremendous. The book of Revelation, again, a prophetic book that describes what will be. In Revelations 5.5, the Bible says, One of the elders said to me, Don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And they saw a picture of Jesus and They called him the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Look at this right here. I think that when you see him, it will shock you. I think that when you see him, you will not find that he's carrying a little shepherd crook and he's effeminate, weak, or unable. 
I don't think that you're going to find a savior who is without power. I don't think you're going to find one who hides behind his father. I think you're going to find a lion who is unafraid, who we consider to be tame, but I'll tell you the truth, he is anything but tame. You never know with him what he's going to do and how he's going to move. Here's the point. He is magnificent, more than my words could ever say, and therein lies the problem with symbols. There's only so far that you can take somebody to see him. How do you see Jesus? I think he's marvelous. I think he's wonderful. I think he's powerful. I think he's merciful. I think he's so good that he, without any reason, loves me and forgives me all the time. He is scandalously merciful to me. How do you describe that? What I really think he looks like is beyond my ability to ever teach. It's beyond my ability to ever show. All you can ever hope to do is to teach on these things and that the Holy Spirit will reveal who he really is. Here's a thought, and I'll close it with this. What difference does it make if you get the right symbol or not? I mean, pastor, does it really matter? Do you really just think that it makes that big of a difference? Let me give you three things very quickly, and I'll close with this. What difference does it make? Number one, the enemy is defeated. Colossians chapter 2 says this, Jesus has made a public spectacle out of the enemy, having triumphed over him with his cross. If you see Jesus as still hanging on the cross, then your battle is probably focused this way. God help me. God beat the devil. God let me have victory. Or if you see him as already being done, you need to begin praying this way. God, what should my life look like now? If you're stuck still fighting the battle as opposed to deciding I'm going to go forward now because the battle's won, that's the difference between the two things. You've been given authority. Jesus said, all authority's been given to me and I give it to you. If you have authority, you don't anymore need to sit there doubting and wondering. If you've been given authority, you can know for certain today that your sins are forgiven and that heaven waits for you. Everything I've said is true. There's no ambiguity in it or doubt. He loves you, man. He's prepared this time to reach out to you. All authority has been given to us. And last but not least, friendship and peace with God belongs to you. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says that we have peace with God through Christ. If you know him, then you can know peace. And if you don't know him, I'm telling you right now, you don't have the kind of peace that I'm talking about. God offers you his life. God offers you his mercy. God offers you his grace. And I need to unapologetically say this to you. We rigged this whole weekend to tell people who don't know about Jesus that he loves them. We set this whole weekend up so that you'd have an opportunity to experience for yourself the love of God. I want to make it clear to you. We're not trying to get you to join our church We're not trying to get you to find religion. We don't even want you to be good. But we do want you to know Jesus. Everything that we've set up ourselves to do is to try to tell people how wonderful he is. And then it really comes down at the end of it to this. There's nothing else you can possibly say except to say, if you don't know him, do you want to? Do you want peace? Do you want his life? Do you want to experience his love for yourself? If you're here again... We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to set you up for anything. But we are trying to tell you how much he loves you. 
and that you can have a relationship with God. In just a moment, I'm going to show you a little video. It's going to talk about some of the things we're doing in the next couple of weeks. But right now, I'd like to take a moment and just pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we do want to take just this time to give people a chance to act on what I said. God, I believe that if the symbols aren't clear, people can make a great mistake in what they're aiming for. Really, the picture that's in our mind is the direction that we aim our lives at. God, some people see you as angry and some people see you as uncaring. Some people see you as distant. Some people don't even believe that you're really there. But no matter where you come from, no matter what place you're approaching God from, I think he brought everything together in one split second in order to expose you to this truth. He loves you. He cares for you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he offers to you his love, his grace, and his mercy. Every one of our campuses right now, the same message is being broadcast. If you don't know him, do you want to? If you've not experienced his forgiveness, his love, his grace, do you want to? Your response to this doesn't commit you to our church. Your response to this doesn't volunteer you for anything that we're doing. Your response to this is between you and him. I will not embarrass you. I won't expose you. I won't make you do anything. But I do want to pray for you. Every one of our campuses right now, if you're here and you don't know his mercy, you've never experienced his forgiveness, you want to know his love, I believe if you'll ask him for it, you can have it right now. If you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I need to know God that way. I want His grace and I want His mercy. I want the life that you talked about. I'd like to experience Jesus for myself. If that's you, would you just acknowledge that by raising your hand right now? Pastor John, pray for me. I need to know Him. You bet. Yep. Every one of our campuses right now, wherever you are, I see you. Sure. Just pray for me. Thank you. Yep, I see you, I see you. Yep. Anybody else? Just pray for me tonight, John. I need to know God that way. I want his mercy and I want his grace. Just pray for me. Dan, DJ, as you're looking out at your campuses right now, acknowledge them. Anybody else? Pray for me, John. That's what I want, sure. Gotcha. Yep, yep, yep. I'm going to pray this prayer. Here's what I'd like. Would all of you help me as I pray? Maybe you have already said these words 50 years ago. But would you help me right now for the people in here who need to? Let's do it together. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, 
I come to you in Jesus' name. I want to experience your love. I need your grace. Forgive me. You can have all of my life. I want your life. I thank you now. In Jesus' name. The truth of the matter is that simple prayer, if you meant it from your heart, God responds to it right now. There's not a right way, a wrong way. There's not a card to sign. There's not a club to join. In sincerity, if you need His grace, His mercy, and His love, you ask for it, He'll give it to you. I would ask Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lone Tree, even if you're listening at a later time, I'm going to ask you that on your way out you'll find that all of our exits people holding on to an envelope and that envelope is how to have a relationship with God now nobody will do anything strange to you nobody will ask you for any information nobody will follow you to the parking lot honestly it's how to have a relationship with God say why would I need that information here's the clearest most concise way I can say it to you all of our people have heard me say it for years I'll be married this December, 29 years. 29 years ago, when I got married, Chris didn't go her way and I went my way. And then when we retire, we try to move in together and have a relationship. The truth of the matter is, when I said I do, she said I do, it was at that moment we began to work on the relationship. Our lives forever changed. There's the day-to-day of learning about the other person, of loving the other person, of growing in that. And then there's the long term of where we're going to end up at. The same thing is true with a relationship with God. You made a decision and you don't go your own way right now. And then when you die, you try to figure it all out. You begin to learn how to have a relationship with God every day. And in that packet of information is how you do that successfully. If you will, on your way out, identify by simply grabbing that packet of information. You don't even need to say anything. Just pick it up. Take it with you. If you have any questions, our contact information is on the inside. We'd be glad to help you. We'd be glad to talk to you. If you do need someone to talk to today, let that person know when you grab that envelope that you need to speak to somebody. We'd be happy to spend time with you right there on the spot. Everyone else, we bless you. We're glad that you made it this weekend. We've got several things planned as soon as this is over on your way out before you leave for you to be able to do but want to show you a quick video and then we'll give it to Pastor Nate and our rest of our worship teams to close out our weekend so watch this right here and it'll set up our new series that's coming up I've got cancer we lost the baby my dad said I'd never make it I feel so hopeless I can't win. The doctor says there's no cure. I just want out. Our lives, so beautiful, but so broken. Time after time, we try and piece them back together again, only to find ourselves right back where we started. A life buried by circumstances, pain, depression, disease, and failure. What shall become of us? 
Are we slaves to the pit that surrounds us? How can we get out? Is there any way out?